Welcome to this week's play-by-play of the Hangtime Podcast. Damaris Lewis, Sports Illustrated model, is joining us here on the Hangtime Podcast. You, you're, you have great personality. You can hear it in your voice. Would you date an NBA player? I'm open to anything, but it's... respect. Old school. February. Like, I listen to this Sinatra in the morning. You need to accept that. <laughs> <laughs> so I hear you're single, then. <laughs> With your host. Seku Smith, Lang Whitaker, and Rick Fox. Our next guest should have been our first guest, Isaiah Thomas. How do you think you would play in today's NBA with the rules the way they are? Be honest. Uh, average. <laughs> we will win a lot. <laughs> and it's, it's our main man, Roderick Turner from the Los Angeles Times. Hey, too, can I say this first? <laughs> you know you when can. When I was covering the Lakers, when Rick Fox played, I had hair. They wore me out. Now it's time for the tip-off. Welcome to the Hangtime Podcast. Saquon Smith from the Hangtime Blog at NBA.com. Lang Whitaker got his fanboy outfit on this week. We got a special guest on the show, Lang. Go ahead and go ahead and put the Neek Pac-Man jersey on, Lang. I've got it out. That's ready. <laughs> I hung it on a hanger. I took a shower and steamed it steamed up. Steamed it up. Got it all nice. Got and... the wrinkles out. I'm ready. Got my Brooks Brooks high tops on. Got your high top Brooks and shaggy socks on this this is a special guest joining us here on the Hangtime Podcast. No time to waste. Lang's idol. Lang wishes from, he was Dominique Wilkins in another heard, life. Speaking of my idols, have you heard from Rick Fox today? And anyway, we'll we'll revisit that later. But first of all, our very first guest on this week's edition of the Hangtime Podcast, the Hall of Famer, the legend himself, Atlanta Hawks Vice President of Basketball joining us here, Dominique Wilkins. Neek, what's happening, sir? Not much. What's happening, guys? Nothing, man. We just—it's a—it's a tough way for your Hawks to finish their season. But uh, reflect a little bit for us on, you know, the journey this group had this year, and kind of where they stand going into a summer where they got thirty-three million dollars in cap space, three guys guaranteed to be on the roster next year, and no—you know, potentially no coach, you know, no team to speak of outside of those three guys. I mean, we're. Where are we at in terms of the transition for this group right now? Well, I tell you, we got a lot of work to do. <laughs> you know, three guys on contract. Uh, we don't know where different situations stand for coaching and all these different things. So, you know, Danny Ferry has a plan that he's going to implement and put in place. So, but again, it's going to take time. It's going to take taking steps and making sure you put the right pieces in place. But I look back on the season, I thought this team definitely. Uh, achieve more than what people expected at the beginning of the year. No one expected the Hawks to make the playoffs, but we did, you know, and I thought Drew did a, a great job of really getting the guys uh, to buy into his system. Dominique, you saw the Hawks in the, in the playoffs there, and they, they battled the Pacers pretty well. Um, what kind of team do you think Indiana is going forward here? Do, can, can they knock off the Knicks, or is this a team that you think the Knicks can handle? Oh, I definitely think they can beat the Knicks. I think the, 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 the problem with the Indiana Pacers right now, even the games that they've won, is they turn the ball over a little bit too much. And I mm-hmm. think if they can protect, if they can protect the basketball, because they're a very big and physical team, I think they can beat New York if they um, take care of that area. Nick, going back, I mean, you guys, the Hawks have a unique opportunity here to rebuild a team on the fly, basically without having to go all the way down into the lottery. I mean, it's it's rare you get a chance to rebuild in the way they're going to do without bottoming out and being a, a non-playoff team. What what are some of the things you, you look at and say you have to be mindful 
of these specific items when building a, a team, when, when starting from scratch basically like they're going to do? Well, you got to have three guys to build around. you got to have three guys that are solid players on your team, guys who are integral parts of your team, and you got to add pieces around those guys. But more importantly, when you add those pieces, you got to be patient and, and sticking with those pieces and really – you know, running a system that you uh, that you run over and over again until you perfect it. I think a lot of times when you put a team together, when you put pieces together, you tend to give up on it a little too quick. But you know, it takes time to build chemistry, and that's the thing that you have to be mindful of when you put a team together. As a team in the Southeast Division in the Eastern Conference, do you maybe have a little bit more time? To, to rebuild, knowing that Miami is sitting there on top and, and might be there for for a couple more years. Well, Miami is, is very tough, you know. And the thing yeah. is, if you look at what they've done, if you model yourself after what they've done, they're basically all they did is again back to what I've just talked about is adding three solid players on that team, and the other guys are just pieces. They're just good, solid veteran players. Uh, and they don't have that many young guys on that team. They have maybe three or four <laughs> young guys that, that play significant part uh, minutes on that team. But that's how they built that championship team. Nick, where, where are you looking at these playoffs in, in placing these teams in order of their true you know, championship aspirations? I mean, Miami, obviously, even after losing game one to the Bulls, do they remain at the top of your list? And, and how do you stack oh, yeah. these other contenders well, up? Well, the thing is, is when you're the champ, you know, the champions are someone that's thrown you. And they're still right there to figure things the team to beat until somebody beats them. Right. Looking at the Western Conference, Nick, um, watching Oklahoma City, especially without Westbrook, the way Duran has been asked to do so many different things for that team reminds me a lot of watching you play for the Hawks um, when I was <laughs> drawn up. That's a lot of work, man. I'm going to tell that's, you, that's a lot of work. And they put him in a really tough position because he don't get 30 – 35 a night they can't win right that's what you i was know, asking so. is, is is how do you i mean is there do you just worry about the scoring and, and worry let everyone else deal with the other stuff or how is there a way to do all that stuff well, at once? well well the thing is now that westbrook is out just other guys have to step up now and step right. up in a big way i thought Derek fisher did a, a great job last night uh he really as a veteran player stepped up more than anybody expected but the other people got to step like ibaka like perkins you know, guys like Martin, they got to step up now. Westbrook is not there. Uh, you can't ask Durant to do so much. I mean, he's a guy going to come to play anyway, but, man, that's a lot of work. And they're going to have a tough time in the West, really getting out of the West. You you mentioned needing three stars to build around, Deke. Do you think it's – I mean, is there one is there a one-star team, any one star you think that could take his team to a championship level by himself now? No, it, it takes collective pieces in, in today's game. I don't necessarily believe that you actually have to have three, but you definitely have to have two <laughs> to, right. to build a, a championship team mm-hmm. in this league. Uh, but you got to have people who are willing to play a role. You know, everybody got to know their place. Everybody got to know their role on the team. Those roles have to be defined. That's why Miami it was so good last year. Why they won? Everybody knew who the big three were, and everybody else played a role. Right. Well, looking at the West now with Westbrook out, it seems kind of wide open. What team do you see coming out of the West? I tell you what, I like Memphis. Yeah. Thank you. I, I like Memphis. <laughs> Memphis is a blue-collar team, man. I mean, they come to work. I mean, you can't can't look past San Antonio because San Antonio 
uh, again, is, is the most fundamentally sound team in the West. Mm-hmm. So you can't look by them. But if I have to have a favorite team just personally, uh, man, I like Memphis. I really do. I mean, those bigs, man, they pound you and yeah. they defend and they don't give up. And I tell you what, Zach Randolph is playing the best ball he's ever, he's ever played. Yeah. yeah, and Mike Conley too. Mike Conley's kind of getting overlooked a little bit, but he's like last night he was fantastic. Oh, he was great last night. I mean, again, as a team, I mean that seems like I said that's a workhorse type team. That's a blue collar team. They 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 put in work. Yeah. So, Nanique, where do you where do you go in terms of? And this is going back to the office. I mean, we talked about the, the transition and all that. You're the vice president of basketball, but what is your role? Do you think going forward, with a, you know, with Danny Ferry in there and, and his new regime and, and all the new pieces, what kind of role do you play in decision making for the Hawks and what they have, you know, in terms of moving forward? Well, my, my role is to definitely is to help, you know, make decisions on basketball related stuff, and I've always been in that role, always been really uh, involved in those things. So, and just mm-hmm. moving forward, just looking to be more involved. Right. Nick, since we're in the playoffs, 25 years ago this year was the uh, the famous Dominique versus Larry Bird shootout. Um, take us back just for a minute. What what do you remember about that game? What I remember about that game, I remember when uh, Kevin Willis told me don't let Larry Bird score anymore put his finger in his chair. <laughs> That's what I remember. And I looked at him, what are you doing? <laughs> but, uh, uh, but, you know, I just remember going into that at the end of that third quarter when he got hot. And I said to myself, I said, um, if we go down, we're going down fighting. But they're going to have to pull a rabbit out of their hat to beat us tonight because I refuse to let us lose. And uh, unfortunately, he was saying the other thing on the other. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it came down, we were going to make the last shot. Yeah, Nick. This was, uh, I mean, that this is the 25-year anniversary of that performance by both you and Larry Bird. Reggie Miller's. Uh, you know, crazy game at the Garden. This is the 18-year, you know, anniversary of that. Does it seem strange to you now, looking back, that these things all happened so long ago when you and fans like Lang and myself who watched them remember them so vividly? Like, it doesn't seem like it's been 25 years. Where's that, you know, where's that time going in terms of the basketball continuum, you think? Well, I can tell you, for me, it seems that long. (laughs) 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 Only time it doesn't, actually, only time it really doesn't, is when people constantly remind me of that great game, mm-hmm. and I get reminded of it all the time. It's not it's, it's not a week that goes by mm-hmm. that I don't hear at least one person talk about that game. Right. I wanted to ask you about when, when you went into the Hall of Fame a few years ago, you drove from Atlanta to Massachusetts in an SUV. No, my, in an RV. I RV. Was in I'm it. sorry. I know. <laughs> That's with right, my, I was laying on the floor in that thing. Trust me, it was not an SUV. That was my question. You drove in an RV with my co-host, Sekou Smith. <laughs> yes. What did you learn about Sekou during that trip? <laughs> you know what? He liked to eat a lot. <laughs> <laughs> we did have a couple of stops, didn't we? we? Had, yeah, we had, yeah we, had a, we had some stops, man. That was one of the most unbelievable experiences I've ever had. That was great. I mean, everybody who went on that trip, we had such a great time. Yeah, yeah, it was fantastic. Nick, I, I always tell people too the story about we were riding through DC, and and you like you looked off and said, "Man, that's you know like." Or we're riding through the DC, you know, Baltimore area, and you were like, "Man, right. that's that's right where it all started." Mm-hmm. I mean, that journey for you, um, and and you see different groups of guys going into the Hall of Fame. Gary Payton this year, obviously, you know, getting that opportunity, and some other guys. 
how how do you describe that to the guys who haven't experienced it yet in terms of what it means to finally cross that threshold and be be held in that sort of regard, you know, in terms of the history of the game? Man, you know, what it does is immortalize you. Mm-hmm. You know, that's something that only a select few in this world ever get a chance to experience. And being a part of the Basketball Hall of Fame that covers the whole world, you can just imagine how small the number of players who get the opportunity to experience that. I mean, when we were driving in the RV and we stopped in Baltimore, I looked over the bridge where I grew up, man. I mean, you know, it, it just its heart-pounding. I mean, it's something that you really can't believe. It's surreal. Yeah. And uh, it lets you know how life has come full circle for you. And that was just an unbelievable experience that I'll never forget. Yeah. Before we uh, before we let you go, I want to get you on the record uh, with your prediction. <laughs> Who will be our NBA champions this, this season? Man, man, you know, that's a great question. It really <laughs> is because anybody can get knocked off in this yeah. playoff this year. So to be honest with you, it would be hard for me. But again, I'm going to go with Miami because they are the champs. Right. So I, I'm, I'm going to stick with Miami. And plus, being an East Coast guy, I got to yeah. stick with Miami. <laughs> Dominique Wilkins, the legend, the Hall of Famer, the Atlanta Hawks executive, joining us here on the Hangtime Podcast. Nick, last thing here. you Everybody else has called Phil Jackson to inquire about him coaching their team. Why not the Hawks, man? Pull out the, pull out the celly and give Phil a call and see if he wants to come to Atlanta. <laughs> well, I'm sure a lot of calls going to be made out to different people. <laughs> if, the, if it comes down to that, I don't know what the plan is right now. But if it comes down to that, I'm sure Danny's going to reach out to the people he needs to reach out to. So, you know, we go from there. All right, man. Well, listen, we appreciate you joining us, man. Enjoy the rest of these playoffs. Okay, buddy. All right, All right now. Thanks, Dominique. All right, bye. Right, right, right. Dominique Wilkins, guys, join us here on the Hang Time Podcast. Lang, you would have to bring up that doggone uh, RV trip to the to Springfield, Mass. <laughs> Man, it was the longest. I'm serious. <laughs> My dad, when I was 12, drove the whole family from Michigan <laughs> to California for the uh, Summer Olympics. So, I mean, I've been on some road trips before, some massive, crazy road trips. But laying on the floor at that RV. <laughs> Why were you on the floor? Because there's like 36 people in there. There were TV cameras, <laughs> Neek's whole family, babies, you know, grandparents, dogs. I mean, it was ridiculous. It was like Noah's Ark, you know, going in the wrong direction. And... <laughs> I woke, I'm laying on the floor trying to catch a nap in the middle of the night, and I'm telling you, I woke up, and somebody was walking over me to the bathroom, and all I saw was, like, a footprint getting ready to smash in my face. I was like, I jumped up off the floor. I was like, what? I was like, what the hell? So Dominique was driving when we yeah. got to D.C., and I was like, you know what? I'm I'm going up here to the front. Since nobody else, it was middle of the night. Everybody else was trying to catch some catch some sleep. I said, I'm going to go up here and sit with Nick, and, he, and we rode for a good five or six hours. Um, with him driving. This dude's going in the Hall of Fame now. Right. Everybody else probably flying first class, and he decided, I'm taking the fam, you know, and taking a, you know, taking a camera crew and a knucklehead reporter like myself and everybody else. I'm going to take a crew up there in a, <laughs> in a Winnebago and see if we can, uh, you know, enjoy the experience a little differently, man. It was it was fantastic. I mean, I, I wrote his profile for the uh, program, and then I, and I went with him on that trip and did some you know, a story for uh, the AJC at the time when I was working there. And uh, it was pretty spectacular, man, watching a guy go to the Hall of Fame but also kind of trace his steps on that 21-hour that 20, drive up. You know, right. really, I mean, it, it took him to all corners of his career in terms of 
you know, driving up the highway in Georgia where he, you know, started in college and then going past his, you know, where he grew up for years in D.C. and, and through North Carolina. I mean, all of yep. those different things, man. It was pretty spectacular for him. And uh, something I'll never forget, I'm always glad uh, to have been a part of that trip, even though my back is still hurting. I might have to sue Neat. Did you guys have to drive? Issues. Did you did you drive back afterwards? No, every I mean some of some people drove back. Um, I was wise enough to go to the airport and get a flight home. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, that the driving <laughs> up was bad enough. Well, at least when you're driving up, you know you're going to an event. <laughs> yeah. you know, you're, you're looking forward to this thing happening. But yes. once it's over, then the drive home must be like, oh, okay. oh yeah. I mean, it was seriously. They there was an infant. There were little kids, big kids, grown grandparents, cameramen. Two or three pets. Um, I mean, it was it was an abs- It should have been a movie. Like it was like National Lampoon's Hall of Fame vacation trip. I mean, it was craziness, man. By the way, do you know where Dominique was born? I believe he was born in Germany or no. Paris or something like that. Like Paris, France. Yeah, somewhere yeah. overseas. I know he's a military brat. Um, His dad was in the Air Force. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I, we talked about that as well. Um, you know, what a life, man. You know, yeah, what a totally, life. totally. Speaking of living the life, you guys can actually do this show without me. <laughs> there he is. As, as I listen in from baggage claim. Baggage claim. <laughs> listen, Apparently, man. I missed I miss Neek, huh? You miss yeah. Neek, and he is not happy oh, about it. He's already man. texting us. He's already texting us, talking about you big timing him. Oh, not at all, man. He said Although that I was Hawks, sitting next to Claire Dane, so. Oh, my oh. God. What a name dropping. So might, oh, what a name dropper. <laughs> Look at this guy. He did. Dominique did say that uh, when the Hawks hire Phil Jackson as their new head coach, he was not going to allow you to be on the coaching staff. <laughs> oh. is, is, is Phil even an option for the Hawks? He's an option for everybody until they actually make the call, isn't he? Yeah, this is true. You, you know, turn down the Nets, though, right? He yeah. turns down everybody. I mean, everybody calls. Everybody gonna, calls Phil. Ask him to well, he, he didn't turn down Detroit, so apparently you just have to be a personal friend of his. <laughs> He might be the fourth co-host of the podcast starting next week. Yeah, at this rate. Exactly, because I know a, him. I can call him. That's what I'm saying. At this it's rate, an option. Tell him, we're pay, tell him we're paying big money, as in no <laughs> money. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Rick, where, where are you coming from? What's, I mean, good gracious, man. You. I just came from uh, Boston. Unbelievable. I was in Boston for a couple of days. Right. Uh, and I just landed in L.A. Okay. So I'm here. I'm here for a day, and then I go to Miami tomorrow. So I'm, I'm, wow. I'm on the move. World world traveler, baby, world traveler. What's what's the mood in Boston, the Celtics fans? Since you just just left there, what's uh? I mean, I'm a lot sure... of talk about yeah, a lot of talk about cap, mm-hmm. uh, keeping the team together versus really blowing it up. Combinations of amnesty and you know Paul Pierce and keeping KG versus the option of both of them going mm. together. And 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 the latest I heard was some trade. Including Doc Rivers to the Clippers for some <laughs> yeah. what, what is that about? I missed that. That kind of like caught me it, in the wind this I, morning at the airport. Yeah, I think that just got TSA, yeah, it was, it was TSA word. What was that? What was the actual deal? It was. It was. It's not even. I think it's just somebody floated this yeah. idea of because because you can't trade a coach. I don't think. Right? I don't think I you can. Think I mean, Doc would have, Doc would have to agree to it. You can't just. <laughs> uh, Doc, we're trading you to the Clippers for Chris Paul and Blake Griffin. I think part of the thing was that was the thought was that KG because remember last year there was talk of KG going to the Clippers, yeah, 
Right. Um, and that would be a way to get younger if you trade KG and Pierce to, to LA and, and maybe get Bledsoe and DeAndre Jordan and somebody else, um, draft picks. And then would, if, if Vinny Del Negro is not there anymore, who would be a good coach for that team? Well, how about Doc Rivers? So I think there was more, it was more of a, a hypothetical than anything. Gotcha. Else. Okay. Gotcha. So scuttle, TSA scuttlebutt talk. Yes, yeah. that's just uh, strictly the, the TSA people catching half the message, and then instead of doing their job okay. and frisking you, they, they want right. to talk NBA basketball, you know. Well, <laughs> yeah, I, I hear it. I got it. <laughs> but he's got to go somewhere, right? He's, he's, he's declared wanting to coach. Or, no, he didn't actually declare wanting to coach. He declared wanting to be in a Pat riley yes position with yes. an organization. Yeah. So define I mean, that. What does that actually mean? It actually means – power over all things with the option to come down and sit on the bench and coach if, if you wanted to yeah, at some point. Yeah, that's basically how it works. I mean, huh. the all-powerful the all is basically what he's – he wants somebody to give him the keys to the city, you know. And at this rate – which Okay, well – well, would you who who out there should do that? Let alone I've got a. I'll, I'll tell you who it, who it might be is the Toronto Raptors. Yeah. Um, because you know the new okay, head well, of Maple Leaf yeah. Sports Entertainment is Tim Lywicki. Tim Lywicki uh, from from AEG, formerly from the Staples Center, all right. that stuff in LA. So I mean that, that that's one option that's out there, I assume. But I'm gonna I'm, I'm supposed to connect with Tim this week. Look at his. Oh, uh, I'm gonna ask some questions. Broker we steel. Each other. Yeah, we missed each other in New York, but I'm going to go do some snooping. Well, Rick, I mean, can you see Phil operating in that capacity in Toronto? I mean, in, in a place where yeah, they're far with, from with a championship contender? I mean, well, well, look, I mean, he wants to he wants to build as well as as potentially coach or hire the coach at least and have the influence. Mm-hmm. So, you know, why not? You 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 you're with uh, you're close to a New York setting. Toronto. Let's not be. Let's not forget. Toronto is not only the birthplace of of one Rick Fox. It is also <laughs> it is also the fourth largest city in North America. Listen, to but not, you know, Somebody, a lot of somebody's done some research, Lane. Yeah, a lot of people don't know Toronto's a hopping spot. So if you can deal with the cold, which I'm sure Phil has had to in the past, you may not be excited about it. But who knows what type of scenario Tim Lightwicky gives him right. surrounding where he actually does his job from. Maybe he's doing it right from the beach in Malibu. Uh, I mean, I'm not Malibu, applied to Array where he lives, mm-hmm. and and works from there with a hired coach such as uh, uh, Brian Shaw, maybe. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm not surprised at all that people are reaching out and trying to make, you know, get Phil to be a part of whatever they got going on. Because you don't win as much as he did in, in the NBA and not carry that kind of cachet with you. But do you feel like, I mean, you hear these names that pop up for, for these open coaching gigs, Phil Jackson, Jerry Sloan, Larry Brown. Do you feel like there isn't a, there's not a feeling for, hey, let's, let's go with some younger, fresh, new faces? I mean, you think that's a too risky of a thing right now for a lot of these teams? Uh, young and fresh can get you. <laughs> you can look brilliant or you can get you in a lot of trouble. Right. Right. You know, GMs like to hire guys that either have winning track records that they can point to when things don't go as well, and they can say, "Hey, look, man, I hired the guy that has the winning as as a thousand wins." Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it's a, it's a real. It, it would take a real established GM with his own track record, like a Donnie Walsh, to step outside of 
the normal hire of, of, a, of a coach from a tree of success. Mm-hmm. But it's not to say that someone who's young and up and coming from the college ranks or from an assistant position that's never coached before isn't the wise choice. It just takes a lot of, it takes a strong GM with a lot of power from the owner, or it takes the owner saying, I want something completely new, fresh, that can connect and relate to this generation of player. Right, right. And that's usually a younger, that's usually a younger coach. It's funny, these, you look at these GMs who are getting hired, and the trend now is to not hire necessarily retreads and, and to go with these younger guys. You know, Rob Hennigan in Orlando, Sam Presti, you know, really kicked the trend off. Um, you know, the new GM in Phoenix leaving Boston is, you know, 17 years old. Uh, I mean, it's just <laughs> it's, it's strange when the trend flips from – Coaching, you know, hiring coaches who are younger to hiring general managers who are young. But I think, and Lang, you correct me if I'm wrong, I think a lot of that has to do with, with the analytics movement and the fact that teams are looking for younger, sharper guys who are maybe on the cutting edge of the technology and everything that's being used in the league as opposed to the older, more seasoned, you know, guy with the trained eye and the, and the history around the league, which is different. I mean, it's different. Oh. I think that a little bit. I mean, it's Moneyball, obviously. You know, it's, yeah. it's it's the movie Moneyball come to life in a way where they want. Um, but it's really, I think, uh, partially at least driven by economics, because part of the whole the the whole reason for analytics and the the the, the reason you want to find uh, use these statistics to to winnow guys out is you want bargains and you want to be able to build without spending too much money on a guy. Um, that doesn't deserve it or getting yourself stuck into a bad cap situation and all that stuff. So I think that's one reason all these teams look at these guys and they think, well, you know, maybe this is the way we can do it. Um, And they see a team like San Antonio, that's a a small market team, win titles. And they think, hey, any team can win a title. But obviously there's a lot, (laughs) a whole lot that goes into it other than just being a small market team. Okay, you two get a room. Okay, I'm at baggage claim. I'm getting uncomfortable. <laughs> people like sometimes, say, you know, it's a sidebar. But people sometimes like embrace a baggage claim, like they haven't seen each other in a long, long time, <laughs> and they should just get a room. Well, okay, you, I thought that's what we were talking about. I thought you were talking about me and Lang. I was like, what do we do? What do we do? Where are you at? You at LAX or what? Which airport? Uh, LAX. LAX. Or at least they look good. At least they look good. So look, I, I I don't I I I thought Charles Barkley. If you listen to Shaq, he is reporting. Charles Barkley was in the running for a GM position in <laughs> in, in, in Phoenix, uh, and he probably you know he could have he, he could have been. We don't know. But what about what about legends like a Dominique or you know guys that like uh, Charles Barkley, the Michael Jordans? Do they make great GMs? Do they make great coaches? Larry Bird. Have, can we can we point to someone? Larry Bird has. Yeah, Larry Bird definitely did. I think it, I think it's a case by case basis. So I don't think it's really a yeah a blanket I thing. I think it's it's hard to to gauge because each and every situation is going to be so different. You know, it's not like you can you take third. Look at Danny Ainge. You know, there was a time when he was in Boston. Everybody thought he was doing a horrible job. They lose an eighteen straight, and they you know they want to throw everybody into into the back bay or whatever. But then. You know, you get the big three, you win a championship, compete for another one, you know, become an Eastern Conference power, and now your legacy is totally different. Um, you know, so it really, it's just a situation 
by situation, uh, you know, scenario for all of these different things. I mean, look I at look at uh, yeah, I agree. Look at Magic Johnson coaching your Lakers. Didn't go so well. <laughs> no, no. I guess it is situational. Yeah, I mean, excuse, excuse, excuse the soundtrack of the baggage claim charge podcast today. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I I would rather be hanging at baggage claim with you because. When you're at LAX baggage claim, you tend to see people you'll never see again, man. Yeah. I, I've seen some Hollywood starlets when I, you know, when I'm flying in or out of LA, and it's I love watching them trying to avoid the paparazzi. I'm like, man, oh, yeah. these people don't even realize who you are. I already called TMZ, yeah. Rick. They're waiting on the curb. <laughs> oh, no, I'm looking at a couple of them. It's, it's spring. It's spring too. So at least you know when you're waiting at baggage claim in spring. Yeah. In LA, it's a lot different in winter. Oh yeah. If you get what I'm saying. Well, you know what's weird about you, you know you getting back to L.A., Rick. It's that's a basketball wasteland right now. The Clips, <laughs> Lakers, both out of the out of the playoffs. Who would have thought? You know that neither one of them would last into the conference semifinals. What? I mean, what what kind of mood could could there be for basketball right now? NBA basketball in a, in a city where neither team achieved the way, you know, people expected him to. And there are all these questions. Vinny Del Negro, does he stay or go? You know, what's going to happen with the Lakers and Dwight? I mean, what's, what's going on out there? Well, there's a lot to talk about, uh, uh, and they'll be talking about it here now for the next few months. I think you know, the Chris Paul exit in the playoffs was surprising. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there was, we could read into it as much as we want, but I'm sure he was not unhappy. He was not happy at the, at the point. He, he leaving before Dwight Howard, I don't think that happens. I think there's a lot of positive mm-hmm. reasons for him to stay here. Uh, I don't know if it's with the same coach. Vinny, uh, unfortunately, how do you fire a guy that's won 57 games, man? It, that's, it, I mean, that's just un, unfathomable to me, man. I mean, the guy is taking it on the chin, taking a lot of criticism. He did, you know, the team did get ousted. But that's a good Memphis team. That Memphis team could be in the finals, man. And and it's you know it's a team they butt, butted heads with consistently for the last you know couple seasons. So I, I, can I tell don't you. know. I don't know how <laughs> there needs to be some adjustments. Obviously, there needs to be improvement from the players and the things in their own individual games. But coaching wise, I mean, if I had to venture a guess, I think you're going to see a different Cooper coach. I think you'll see the same Laker coach. I think personnel-wise, both of those teams, the Lakers are going to look potentially, you know, drastically different or actually the same. I don't think there'll be any in-between. Right. Yeah. And as for the Clippers, I think they may make a couple moves. I can tell you how you fire a coach that won 50, what, 56 games is uh, is you lose in the first round of the playoffs. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to me, that, that was pretty that was pretty cut and dry. I mean – also, just watching those games, there were so many times when you're watching, you're like, what are, what are they doing? Like, what, they lost four games in a row, and they they just <laughs> he appeared overmatched throughout those playoffs to me. Um, Jamal Crawford not playing second half of that game when they definitely need points. Um, there was just a lot of things that I, I saw when I was like, well, what is going on here? But but I'm not I'm not management there and i don't know what they're going to do that's the thing with the clippers is it's kind of a wild card you don't know what's going to happen ask rick carla in detroit i mean that's it'll there's been times when uh what looks like success gets thrown out the window for something else and uh i'm not saying it's deserved but i'm i'm smarter than the fifth grader and i know that even when it looks <laughs> like you've won and won at a high level in the nba 
there's a standard that you have to achieve to keep your job that Vinny, I don't think Vinny Del Negro has, has achieved. And I think as long I, – I keep writing it and saying it, and I, don't, I'm, I hope people are listening, Rick. As long as yeah. the shadow of Phil is hanging over Southern California, if I'm the Clippers and I want to make an ultimate, you know, chess move in, in my ongoing, you know, race to catch the Lakers – Offering Phil the keys to the kingdom is not a bad idea if you're trying to make that move in the public eye and strategically within your organization to make some cultural shifts and changes. I think you gotta. I think you gotta take a shot at it. Yeah. You know he's an LA guy. You know he he, he doesn't come cheap. But maybe you get a better price with giving him more power. I don't know if Donald Sterling will have a part with you know an ownership stake in the team, but. Right. Look, I mean, I, I know of a couple of friends that were vying for a, a piece of it already, mm-hmm. uh, ownership-wise. And I uh, granted they got a whole lot of money, but, <laughs> but maybe there's a piece that could be had uh, for an individual like like Phil, who for a three-year stretch of time might turn a Clipper organization into their first championship. Lang, I got to ask you, you are the master of the web. What, what's up with this? And I, I'm hope I'm. Hope we're not uh, instigating anything here, but what's up with Shaq and Kendrick Perkins going off on, you know, going at it a little bit on Twitter? Have you seen oh, this? Yeah, I saw this. <laughs> Shaq, it was, it Shaq was, not exactly being uh, kind to a, a fellow big man here. It was going on. I mean, they talked about this on Inside last night mm-hmm. uh, after they made fun of your photo. Yeah, that's classy as always. <laughs> <laughs> They made fun of you after they made fun of your photo, but apparently Kendrick Perkins said he would prefer if Shaq talked about uh I can't remember how he how he phrased it. Players who were who were doing something or something. I can't remember what he said, but Shaq then very gleefully pointed out that Perkins did not have a very good game last night <laughs> and uh pointed it out again and again. So I I, uh, and it's not the first time Perkins has taken offense to people pointing that out. Yeah. Um, he and Weber had a little back and forth, you remember? Right, right. A couple of years ago. So uh I'm not really sure how that plays out. Yeah, I'm saying this, I don't like where this is headed. I, having been on the receiving end of some jabs from Shaq over yes. over over nothing but a, a stupid picture of myself, this this does not bode well for Kendrick Perkins. Um, the, tweety, the tweet Shaq shout out last night was uh, – Wow, at Kendrick Perkins is dominating two points. When he gets twenty and ten, <laughs> then I'll stop talking about myself. Hashtag worry about worry about your own game and name. Yeah, I mean, Rick, this can't end well for Kendrick Perkins. Wow, uh, end well. Um, well, actually, you know, in a in a one to one statistical matchup, career <laughs> career wise, I don't think there's enough time left in his career to actually accomplish. <laughs> Uh, you know, a third of what Shaq did right. uh, individually. I mean, but he is chasing championships, so he has one. Um, he's a part of a good team right now. Uh, he's playing a role. His role is nowhere near what Shaq's role was on the teams he was on. But at the end of the day, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure OKC wish they had a Shaq-like player right now. And, <laughs> and the Perkins is, you know, you know, closest thing in size maybe. But in terms of you know delivering on power, skill, and dominance, I don't think he's reached that point in his career yet to match Shaquille. So he's still got some time. You know, it'd take a long summer of work 
Um, but uh, that's a very yeah, diplomatic way of saying hell. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, look, you know, I, I don't, the thing I like about Kendrick Perkins is that he carries himself uh, on the floor and in the game as if he's going to deliver a Shaq like performance. <laughs> a lot of times, a lot of times, you know, that's all that's needed, you right. know, in terms of your own self belief and your own impact, uh, you know, physically or intellectually or emotionally on the game. Wise, you know, sometimes a little one little play here and there can change the outcome of a game, and that's kind of what he's built his career on—being a physical defender right. that makes a play here and there. Uh, but look, without him, you know, certain teams don't—you know—don't certain teams he's been on may may not have won and has been as successful as they have. So yeah. I think everyone has value in the league. I just would pick a different person to go to war with <laughs> than Shaq. Got a, he'll always have a bigger pulpit. He'll yes. always have a bigger argument. Uh, and uh, I think he was wise to apologize. I thought <laughs> eight minutes later was probably way too long. <laughs> it should have been like you know, eight seconds later. What was I thinking? Uh, I've always thought Perkins' nickname, you know, since we're in the Twitter era, his nickname should be SMH. Because every time you see him, he's shaking his head. He's always, always, <laughs> he's always upset about something. Well, they got a lot to be upset about right now, and that's it's called Zach Randolph and Mark Gasol. I mean, they're, yeah. they're going they're going at the uh, the Thunder bigs, Rick um, Lang. You, yeah, what is you getting nervous at all for the Thunder in terms of their long term prospects in the playoffs? If if they keep taking this pounding, you know, from the from the Grizzlies big men, and then have to deal with a Mike Conley playing the way he played in the fourth quarter wow. last night and. Before wait before Rick, him last night. It's fantastic. Yeah, before Rick weighs in, I the, I was wondering in the fourth quarter. I was like, why don't they give Collison a shot at at Zebo because Collison is quicker than than Perkins. Yeah, and I thought maybe he and, and Nick came in and did pretty well against him, but but Zebo was just punishing him. And with about five minutes to go, there was a shot of Collison just grabbing his shorts, leaning over, sweat <laughs> dripping off his face, just kind of shaking his head. Like I mean, Zebo. I don't know who who do you how how do you stop those guys except just throwing bodies at him because Zebo is a, he's a big dude man he was punishing those guys down low and then you throw Gasol into the mix too like I mean how do he's you stop brute, that yeah. yeah I don't know how I don't know that you do stop it I think you either you you battle him to a stalemate if you're lucky you know and and you get huge performances out of Kevin Durant and some other guys Kevin Martin has to play big you know and has to score. Um, but if you can't win that battle, you certainly can't let Mike Conley land the knockout bunches in the fourth quarter. That's, I mean, man, I'm saying I wish this mess, I wish this Memphis Grizzly team was still a Vancouver Grizzly team because they got two bears. And when I tell you bears, <laughs> they got a white bear and a black bear, <laughs> and the style like up in the mountains, Columbia style. And when they say when the Zebo says, you know, you see me in the bear in a wrestling match, help the bear. That's what's going on with Ibaka, yeah. Collison. You know, and Perkins, these guys, man. I watched, I watched the game up close, and when they cut, you know, to shots underneath the rim, and you see Zebo tangled up with Ibaka, and arms are flying anywhere, and then he's just patting Ibaka on the back, saying, you know, "I'm good, you good, I'm good." <laughs> it's like you just yeah. know that that it's just every every chip up the floor for him. That's what he does. Yeah. He's just that type of physical paint presence guy. Not only that, but they end up being as finesse with the passing and their touch around the basket yeah. as, as a two guard. 
and, and as a point guard, and that man, that's impressive. I was nervous for OKC when Russell Westbrook went down in the mm-hmm. first place. I knew it was over in this series when I saw the first half of the Memphis Memphis uh, uh, game one uh, with OKC. Mm-hmm. Yeah, OKC came back in that game, but they're about to run off four in a row right now, and it's going to be like the Clipper series. Wow. Where I, I think they got a sense of what they need to do. After playing that game one, they notice how they gave it away down the stretch defensively in certain areas. Right. They're not going to make those same mental lapses. And, and Lionel Hollins, out of, the, out of the huddles, the, the plays he runs, and even when the Grizzlies are down by three or four, they just seem to make they seem to run execute a couple plays and bang, back up by two. Yeah. You just you just know that that they're not going anywhere anytime soon. And and I don't know who. Watching Golden State give away a game to, to San Antonio, I don't know who's ready to play Memphis in the series right now. Yeah, I, I had Holland's made a couple moves, especially down the stretch last night, where I was kind of like, uh, "What's he doing?" He was kind of going offense defense uh, or trying to. Um, but I, like you said, Rick, it, you know who led Oklahoma City in rebounds last night? Kevin Durant. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're bigs. Perkins finished with six rebounds. Ibaka. Finished with five rebounds. Yeah, they like, getting worn guys, out. Yeah, they couldn't do yeah, anything. Yeah, man. The, um, that ain't a good sign. No, that that, you know time. the other thing I thought was I, to Memphis that impressed me was like they don't make a, they don't make a lot of mistakes uh, with the ball. They, the The Thunder had three steals last night for the yeah. entire game. Uh, yep. and the way the Grizzlies, I mean, they don't take a lot of chances on offense either, but they also don't don't put themselves in a situation to, to fail. They just kind of hung around, hung around, and then at the end, close the door on them. They still they stay Lombard, Lombardo man. They've been to this event. <laughs> football man, smash my football. They just yep. come up the floor. They run the same play. You know where it's going. Everyone in the arena knows where it's going. <laughs> Everyone watching on TV knows what's going to happen, and they just execute it. And when you execute like that, where a team that's you know young, athletic, long, frantic, uh, they have grown accustomed to turning people over and creating yeah. unforced, you know, forced errors. Yeah, that they they they're not beating themselves. Memphis is not going to beat themselves, and they, so at a certain point in time, you know, you it catches up with you in a forty-eight minute game, and you see them pull away by six at the end. You know, yeah, they're getting some quality minutes too off of you know Jared Bayless and some of these guys they're bringing off the bench, yeah. giving them good quality minutes on both ends of the floor. Like I would, you know, you never peg Jared Bayless for a big time defender. But when you're in the right situation, on the right team, where the, you know, Zach Randolph and, and Mark Gasol are not going to let you hang out there on the floor with them. Tony Allen, they're not going to let you be out there long if you ain't playing defense. And yeah. with this team, well, and against the Thunder, all you you got to stop Durant. And then other than that, yeah. yeah, there's not a lot of bad matchups for the Grizzlies the right thing, now. The thing I yeah. really love about Zach Randolph, though, is, and this is something that's kind of lost in the NBA to me, there's a mutual understanding between him and whoever he's arm wrestling with and shoving with down there is that, Zach really will punch you in the eye. Like, if it get, if it came to blows, you know enough about him and his reputation. That yes, he will dot your eye right now. Like, he, it's possible. So I noticed that Baca was – he gets tangled up with him, and then he's like, you know, well, I ain't, I'm not getting ready to fight this dude. So let me, you know, let me, right, hug, right. Him, let me hug him back and go and get on the free throw line right quick. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep. I mean, you know, and that's that's a nice calling card to have if you're the Grizzlies in a situation where now Russell Westbrook is out. There's a the the door is cracked right now this season in particular in the Western Conference. You've already beaten San Antonio 
before in the series. So if you do have to face the Spurs in the next round, if they get past Golden State, you know, there is no fear factor for this Grizzlies team. They even play Miami well. Did, you know, didn't which, you pick them? I believe somebody did. I, I think you picked them I believe, to go to the West. I believe some wow. soothsayer, some Merlin, some, you know, oh, some Mr. Cleo brought that up when we started talking about who was going to win the, you know, the West. But that was before Russell Westbrook got hurt. Right. My I would have switched, switched, switched my pick to Memphis after OK. Yeah, Russell I mean, Westbrook went down. But you, you brought up you you brought that up though, Rick, and I gotta say, you, you mentioned Lionel Hollins, who the coach of the year results came out today. George Carl. Yeah. And uh, George Carl won and Lang, would you say it's I mean it's kind of a mini landslide, was it not? I mean he kinda of ran away with it. Four hundred and you know, four hundred plus points in the next closest had hundred and ninety points. Um with, it's not that I don't think George Carl was deserving. I think like most awards, there are three or four guys who are truly you know, deserving of the honor, and you can't, you know, you couldn't make a big stink about it. But Tom Thibodeau doesn't finish in the top five. I mean, it was it was an interesting list. Mark Jackson finishes outside of the top five with the season they've had in Golden State. Vinny what? Del Negro got a first place vote, <laughs> which, you know, that's – our man sorry, Gary sorry. Washington voted for Melo and, and kept LeBron from a unanimous MVP laugh, award this year. But so, so this sounds like you and Phil Jackson got a vote. <laughs> Basically, I mean, come I mean, on, man! How do you leave Mark Jackson out of the top five and also Thibodeau? Yeah, Larry Drew got a first place vote. Had solid years beyond solid. One with a young, a really young team, and another one with a really banged up team. Without without a former MVP. MVP, yeah. And they and they're both still hanging around the playoffs in the second round. Not yeah. hanging around. One was one's leading. Against the best team in the league, man. Anyway, let me stop. <laughs> I mean, it just it just seems you know. I, I know the there's this habit of you know the best story sometimes wins out. Not like I said, I think George Carl did a fine job this year with the, with the Nuggets. But this narrative that hey, you know, once they lost Carmelo, he was basically coaching scraps and and getting them to play at a high level. I don't know that I agree with that. I mean, they, nah, I don't know. There's some good that players. Either. That was two years ago. And they have good players. I mean, they have, they got a talented roster. It's not like, yeah. I mean, they got they got bigs. They got. Wing players, they got a, a, a fantastic young point guard. They got the cold-bloodedest, old-school, cut-off jeans, dress socks-wearing point guard in the history of the NBA and, and Andre Miller. You know what I'm saying? They got the ultimate park baller in my man Andre Miller. I mean, you know, they got they got yeah, plenty of boy. tools to work with in Denver. It's not like George Carl took, took a, uh, you know, the B team and turned him into a playoff team. Well, um, what do you – if that's your – if that's the rationale for, for why – or it's, you're not saying he doesn't. I didn't say he didn't it. deserve it. I'm just saying I'm surprised at the way the, the, the voting broke fly. down. Yeah, and, and, right. and that he yeah. won in such a such a fashion. Who was second and third? Spolster was second, right? And uh, Mike Mike Woodson, Woodson was, was third. third. Okay, well, look, look those are, those are definitely uh, warranted. No, you know, I, vote, I voted. I voted Spolster one on my ballot. Voted Spolster mm-hmm. one, yeah. I mean, the guy. I think they finished the season thirty-seven and two, or something like that. They won 30s. a little bit. They won. Yeah. they had a I pretty mean, good season. I, I just didn't see how you could, <laughs> how you can overlook that. I mean, that's unbelievable. They had a pretty good year. Who was fourth? Uh, Greg Popovich Pop was fourth. fourth. Frank Vogel fifth. Lionel Holland sixth. Mark Jackson seventh. Thibodeau eighth. Mikhail, PJ Carlissimo, Vinny D, and Larry Drew who both finished ahead of Doc Rivers and Scott Brooks. 
<laughs> and man, talk about no respect. Scott Brooks, this I mean, no respect whatsoever for him to he doesn't even get a single first place vote. Not one. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, dang, what does the guy gotta do? You're um, like even Melo got a first place MVP vote. <laughs> And, and you go down the list of coach of the years in this league, coaches of the year in the, in the NBA. This is George Carl's first time ever getting it, if I'm not mistaken. So it's not like, you know, this thing is is just handed out to whoever. I mean, this this is a, one of those tough honors to win. Now, you know, Jerry Sloan never right. won it. As far you know, Jerry. I mean, Jerry Sloan never won coach of the year. Think about that. Right. You know, and uh, so it's a tough honor to get. Um, but the voting was just to me. You know, George well, if, Jerry, if Jerry Sloan can come back to Brooklyn and coach Darren Williams in the Nets, to, he deserves coach of the Millennium. Great, yeah, he can get, he can get like a lifetime coach even award. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I just a very the awards always tend to you know crank up the the drama and you know when you look at the results and um, we didn't get a chance to talk obviously about the MVP vote. Lang, did you? Did you think LeBron should have won it unanimous this year? Did you think this was the one year there should have been a unanimous vote for him to be MVP? Yes. Yeah. I thought it. I I didn't think Carmelo deserved a first place vote. Right. Um, I thought the second best player in the league this year was Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant, yeah. And uh, I I didn't feel like you know if, if you if you want to look at it that way that you know that if you took Carmelo off the Knicks they would be a terrible team. Mm-hmm. Uh, what if you put LeBron on the Knicks instead of Carmelo, they would, they'd probably be a better team than they were, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, don't, I just to me it, it was it was pretty pretty obvious that LeBron was the most valuable player in the league. I was surprised it was not unanimous. Yeah. What do you think? I, I think I think didn't I say last week someone was going to vote no? <laughs> yeah, I, I believe you, you did. One, I told you one person. Yeah. Uh, you could just figure it. it look, the unanimous to me was. For anyone that knows basketball, I'm sure you could make an argument if you take Carmelo off the Knicks, they would not even be a playoff team. Um, but I don't know. If I agree know, with that either. By the way, really? I, they yeah, I don't either. Especially in the East, they would, they I mean, not be a playoff team. The Bucks made the playoffs. Really. How would they score? Where, where would the scoring come from? I don't know. But the Bucks made the playoffs. J.R. Smith with the take- Bucks. I mean, you got to remember they have, two, they, have, they have two prolific scorers. They would. Have, I'll tell you what. If the Knicks did not have Carmelo Anthony, J.R. Smith starts. He takes forty shots a game. You got Tyson well, Chandler. Is it the, same Jason, J, the same J.R. Smith that, that disappeared the last four games. Maybe this, yeah, and the same one who won the Sixth Man of the Year. It's okay it's, because he's a Sixth Man. He's, not a, he's a Sixth Man. You don't well, find him around you bring, Fine, you bring you him off the bench. Carmelo I just don't Anthony think off the Knicks. They do not make the playoffs. I don't know. I think they would. Seku, I, I, I think, I mean, just to say they wouldn't make the playoffs at all in the East without Carmelo to me is a lot on that. I mean, they got a they look at let their me, roster. They got a lot of they got a lot of personnel that could have helped them get make an eighth seed. Okay, you're talking about Raymond Felton, who I love, Tar Heel guy. He was on the port. This is the same guy who was on the Portland Trailblazers last year. Right. Okay, they couldn't get the Portland Trailblazers, couldn't guide them to uh, a playoff. Okay, they were more talented. Than the Knicks, you think way more talented than the heck yeah, Lamarcus Aldridge. I don't know about Batum, that. Nicholas nah. Come yeah. on, Rick. What? Come on now. 
Who who is better than Nicholas Batum on the Knicks? Uh, uh, Mark Shepard, Tyson Chandler, Tyson Chandler. Well, yeah, I'm Jason. talking about position to position. Tyson Chandler is who? What is what is Tyson Chandler been without a superstar point guard or another superstar player? Tyson Chandler, defensive player of the year. Come well, on now. Name these, okay, name these places: Dallas <laughs> with Dirk Nowitzki and Jason Kidd. What about last year in New York? Exactly. They made the playoff. I mean, I'm I'm he saying Carmelo Anthony. Yeah, I'm I'm saying and Amari Stoudemire. And, and, and like, I mean, let's not forget who Tyson Chandler has always been a great defensive player and a rebounder, but he's never led a team in any any kind of a way where you would say he's our anchor. Obviously, I don't think we're saying he he would do that. I just think we're saying he he's he's he'd be the guy who would defensively. I think he he gets you some wins over the Who course of eighty two games. I'm, yeah. I'm Look, saying I love I love Tyson Chandler. This is not an attack on Tyson Chandler. <laughs> Too late. This, Too late. This, this, is a, this is a commentary on 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 his ability to be the cornerstone of a franchise. And I'm saying that they all all those pieces that the Donnie Walsh put together with the Knicks, all of those pieces make sense together. Sure. And they all were they all made sense around a prolific score. Because they all support him. You take that piece out of the cog, and you play those some of those guys forty minutes a game, thirty eight minutes a game, they get exposed. Sure, but I think we're also assuming a lot. I mean, everybody assumed the Celtics would fall to pieces when Rajon Rondo got hurt. It, I don't did. like. I don't like assuming anything. They still found a way to make the playoffs. But, but and, that's not. But and, okay, and okay. all we're talking about is making the playoffs. We're not saying the Knicks are going to be the Knicks. Right, that won you know fit some games this year and won a division without Carmelo. I'm saying in the East, where the Milwaukee Bucks basically slept walked through the last two weeks of the season and still held on to the eighth seed, I could see the Knicks, this Knicks team, sans Carmelo, making a playoff appearance. The Bucks, the Bucks finished six games under 500. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm sorry, yeah, six games under 500 and and went to the playoffs. The Knicks uh, finished 54 and 28. Without Carmelo, do you think there's that big of a turnaround between 54 and 28? Okay, so then now we need to discuss Melo's value then. Yeah, I'm not not trying to downgrade or demean what Melo means to that team either. Let's talk about what Bernard King just said or didn't say via Twitter. Right. (laughs) You can't have him as an MVP. Someone had him as a potential MVP of the team and then the next minute say, well, well, they would have made the playoffs without him. Yeah. Why not? I mean, we can. I'm just, I'm just saying though, <laughs> that then whoever's saying he's MVP, that vote we all agreed then was a reach. Yeah, I thought it was a reach to put him as a, give him a first place vote over Kevin Durant, as Lang mentioned. I mean, that's because then we start we start parsing what an MVP, you know, what does it mean to be the MVP, and what is is it value to your team? Is it best player? Blah blah blah. You can get into this long. You know, discourse about the merits of it and and what it really means. The fact is, to take Carmelo off his team and say his team would be nothing without him and be a lottery team. That to me is as much of a reach as saying if you know if you put X, this player on this other team, this team magically becomes great. You don't know who who thought the Chicago Bulls could get the five seed and do what they've done without Derrick Rose. Nobody. Right. So is Derrick Rose not an MVP? No, I'm just saying. We don't. We we probably shouldn't assume anything where these teams right. are concerned, because as you well know, Rick, 
there are a lot of quality professionals playing alongside superstars who play roles because of those superstars. And right. when you subtract them, hey, you might find out that this cat or this cat is, can do a little bit more than he's being asked to when said superstar is in the mix. Right. That's right. all I'm saying. I, I don't want to assume anything at the expense of the professionalism and abilities of some of these other guys who are on these teams who, hey, they, they belong. It's not like Melo was playing with – Six cats that they, you know, saw on the sidelines at the YMCA and gave them Knicks jerseys. He's he's playing with guys who have won rings. He's playing with guys who have won so, things he's never won in his career. So I, I, I took the I took the side, the other side to create the debate. Um, I was one of those guys. I was, I'm one of those guys who who always was ready to play a bigger role, but didn't have to because I was blessed to play with two amazing yeah. talents in this league. But I knew, I knew at any point, as, as we all do, you know, the value. We all have our value. We all believe we can contribute in, on in great levels. I look at some of the guys. I look at look at Jackson, right? D. Jackson for OKC, uh-huh. yeah. getting an opportunity. Russell Westbrook down. Prime you know, example. We, 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 our teams and our and our league is, are built on superstars in a lot of ways, and and but they are one individual player. And you know that team sports is made up of a group of guys. And so you see, I'm sure when Melo went out this year for a couple games, the Knicks didn't necessarily fall apart, did they? No, no. I, you know, so you you raise a good point too, Rick. Could you imagine have making making one of those championship runs without Kobe or Shaq for an extended period, and what that would have done to the dynamics of those Lakers teams, and and whether or not one of those guys without the other in the supporting, you know, and the, obviously the the fantastic supporting cast they had would have been able to to do the same things. Yeah, we never wished. We never wished for that. No, no, we yeah. We were prepared. We, we were prepared for it because right. you know, those guys went down with injuries all the time. Yeah, and I mean, uh, and, and we, we we were we were in a system of basketball that required all of us to to be a threat, to be a a, a threat offensively as well as defensively. So we knew how to move within it. Uh, it just was it was made extremely. Uh, it was a lot easier, and it made extremely um, more enjoyable to play with those two guys to not have to deal with an opponent without him. Yeah, I just, I don't know, I'm, you know. My dad emailed me um, earlier this week and asked, if you put LeBron on any of the other teams that didn't make the playoffs, would they make the playoffs? Uh, and, and he said he heard someone talking about it on the radio, and then he started thinking about it. And he said, if you put LeBron on the Charlotte Bobcats, would they make the playoffs this season? What do you guys think? Um, oh, boy. You think, that good? I don't know. Do you think that the Bobcat supporting cast as bad as some Bob, of the supporting cast he had in Cleveland early on? Is, is Bobcats, what I'm looking at. It, it, the the Bobcats Walker finished 17, solid games, is, 17 is games out of the playoffs. The Bobcats finished LeBron, what? I think, LeBron James, I think LeBron James is 15 games. Makes, the, the, makes the Bobcats finished 17 games out of the playoffs. Yeah, I think – I personally think LeBron is one of maybe two or three players all of, that are good enough in every facet of the game to make an average team a great team, to make a lottery team a playoff team, you know. Yeah. And if, yeah. and and I use his impact, you know, I hear people all the time complaining about well, he had to go to Miami to play with other great players to win a championship. News flash. He won 60 some games routinely in Cleveland, 50-plus, you know, with with a supporting cast that without him does not make right. the playoffs. Right, right. Okay? That's how 
that's a good thing and a bad thing that you get that you get a player that great is good. Right. That you're that dependent on that one player is obviously horrible if you're the Cleveland Cavaliers because I think the stat was the Heat won 66 games this year, best record in the league. The Cleveland Cavaliers have won 64 games in the three years since LeBron left. <laughs> okay? I mean, if that's not a true measure of your greatness, you know, obviously other things have changed, but that is the kind of impact, you know, LeBron took Miami teams that were finishing. When D-Wade was there by himself Miami, they were middle-of-the-road team. Right. They win 40-some games, make the playoffs. I watched them lose a seven-game series to the Hawks one year. You know, um, he takes that team, and they become the best team in the league. I, I don't think it's a coincidence. I think, right. it, I think it has everything to do with the fact that LeBron is, is a player who's capable of having that kind of impact on whatever team he goes to. Now – does he go to the Bobcats and they instantly become a legitimate big-time contender? Maybe not right away. Right. But I think they become a playoff team. I think yeah. Think if I think if the Bobcats had LeBron this year, they could have squeaked past the almighty Milwaukee Bucks and not feared the deer and made the playoffs. That's what I think. So <laughs> I, think I think Papa yeah. Whitaker is on to something. Same thing with Toronto, the yeah. Raptors. Yeah, I mean – Washington definitely. My thing is, who else could you say that about? What other player do you think could go from from one team to the next and take them to a dramatic Durant change from what they were? You know, Durant. To a, what about Carmelo? Mm, no, because he doesn't make others. He doesn't create for others. He creates for himself. He he scores. <laughs> he he feed. He can kick out off of double teams. Yeah, right. he's not that. He's not that guy that you put the ball in his hands and. And for 48 minutes, uh, he he finds spots on the floor. He has his spots where he can be effective in. I heard Steve. That's uh, that's the difference. That's the difference in him and those guys. Yeah, yeah. I heard Steve Kerr said something interesting about that, Lang, um, on the radio. He was talking about the reason that LeBron is so much better than Carmelo specifically and other, other stars like Carmelo, and he mentioned Kobe, is that he's like LeBron comes down and gets great shots. For himself, right? Or he gets great shots for his teammates, like, right? You know, he shot fifty-seven percent from the floor, and he and Kerr, you know, was was making a great point, saying Car- Carmelo and Kobe have never shot in the neighborhood of fifty percent from the floor during a season. Like, you know, he's like they're forty mid and low forty percent shooters, which means you know he's like they're taking. Super tough shots, but they can make them, obviously. But that doesn't mean that they're creating opportunities for their teammates, whereas LeBron shoots the lights out, and then his teammates get tons of shots based on the way he plays the game, I, which I think is interesting. I mean, he's he's a facilitator without being a, a volume scorer and shooter, but he can still average 27 points a night, which is pretty, how, mm-hmm. pretty damn amazing. How about another guy who makes his teammates better and would – take a lot of teams from being a mediocre team to a very good team, Derrick Rose. I don't know. The argument has a Mahomes in it right now. Right now, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's tough. Right, yeah. I mean, he's only been on one team. Yeah. He's definitely, he's definitely raised the level of the Bulls. But I would argue that they have some pretty good players. Yeah. Yeah. He's playing with. Yeah. I mean, but look look at the team now. It's that's what's amazing to me is this team. You know, Nate Robinson almost got waived during the season. 
this year. Uh, uh, you crypto know, Nate. Bellinelli has been all over the place the last few years, and all of a sudden these guys are like playing huge minutes. Yeah. But knocking off the heat. That to me is a product of that same thing I was talking about earlier. There's a certain level of professionalism you have to have in certain organizations where, you know, they're not you're not going to be on the Bulls roster if you couldn't contribute in some form or fashion. Tom Thibodeau doesn't yeah, need got, you. You know what I mean? I, yeah. I got into an argument, not an argument, a debate with Charles and Kenny and Shaq the other day about um, about uh, Noah versus Dwight Howard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let me guess which side you were on. Yeah, you say guess the side I was on. <laughs> And then you know, then you know, Noah proceeded to go off the next two games, and mm. you know what he did in Game Seven. He had an, he had he was the first player to do like fourteen, like the game twenty four, fourteen and six, five, yeah, five, but yeah, like two games in a row. Though they, you know, they come out, and even in Game One, you know, he's not a, he's he's a winner. So anyway, so to me, you know, I look at the Bulls, and I just see, you know, I see a team that if they if they were to do what they did in game one again. And, and tonight I think that Miami Heat are going to win by about 20 points. But, <laughs> right. but if, if they win again tonight. Craziness. What sets in for Miami? Yeah, craziness. Pandemonium. Does Derrick Rose, Rose come and, back and for game three? That's what – and then what do we say about the Bulls? I mean, what are we looking at? A team that's without their MVP, but yet they've been banged up. They don't have Luau Dang now. So you know, you, so you're talking about Nate Robinson, Bellinelli, Butler. Yeah, you talking Loser about the grimy? You talking Noah. about the grimiest team this side of Memphis? Ever. That's what you're saying about the Bulls. <laughs> I mean, a Bulls Grizzlies uh, final would just them? seriously. Dana White should be the official referee <laughs> for a Bulls Grizzlies final. They, we need it. We need UFC refs for that for that finals. But I mean, I'm not. Not to to uh, to overlook the Bulls players and the Bulls are playing great. Isn't this a, like a perfect case of a system that works and finding a system that works and plugging the guys in? And you know this defense that they're running. It, it, look at the guys they're using and they're winning. Uh, it, you know, to talk about we talked about coach of the year. This seems like a pretty clear cut case for Tom <laughs> Thibodeau to, to to have gotten more votes than he did. Yeah. It's it's less about just that to me. It's it's more about the specific guys. Like you know, when you take certain kinds of guys, how many times has somebody told Nate Robinson he you know this 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 ain't gonna work, Nate? Right. You know, in, in his life, you Nick just you know you just not you just don't measure up, Nate. You just don't. Yeah, sorry, Nate. I mean, he that, a guy like that lives for the opportunity he has right now. Yes. You know, uh, Noah's been a guy. Think about his history. A dude who was who was not a big-time recruit coming out of high school, um, you know, who goes to college, blows up and blossoms at Florida, becomes a champion, you know, and then spends, you know, his NBA career proving people wrong that, hey, I'm better than just the hype and, you know, what I did in college. Boozer, yeah. uh, Boozer's different, but Jimmy Butler, you know, mm-hmm. go down the list. Taj Gibson. I, you can argue, you can argue that, that they're doing this without anything from Boozer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're, yeah. We're, he, well, we know he disappears. We know he has the potential to disappear in the playoffs. Yeah. For whatever that reason is. But they're getting this done even without big numbers from Boozer. Yeah. And so if he think, gives them, he comes along and gives that. them anything. <laughs> uh, Lang won't be getting any Christmas cards from the Boozer family, Rick, by the way. Oh, really? Okay. He just hated out loud on the Hangtime Podcast. But, oh. yeah, no, I agree with you. There, I'm saying there's a vein that runs through all of those guys, you know, generally on that Bulls roster. 
And that's what makes it so weird with people questioning Derrick Rose's toughness. Because I'm like, this, that's what this dude was all about before this ACL, that he was tough as nails. Remember, he famously refused to lobby for anybody to come play with him in Chicago yep. when everybody was a free agent and they were like, you know, maybe Derrick will talk to this guy and convince him to play. He's like, they can come here if they want to, or if they don't, that's fine, you know. I mean, this this is what that Bulls team is built on, the, the ultimate competitive, tough, grimy, you know, nasty outfit that – that refuses to compromise, you know, with anybody. So I. Well, when when Thibodeau said the other day in the interview, I was at NBA TV. I think it was after game. They lost to the Nets at home, and he said, "We got enough to get it done." Yeah. I was like, man, I I, I love what you're saying right now, Thibodeau, but you are in the same locker room that we're looking at, right? <laughs> you're, you're you're depleted. You're banged up. You, there's no way you guys are going to go to the Nets and and get that win. You guys are like the Walking Dead. Yeah. And yep. and. But, you know, look, it stems from your coach, man. He's sitting there and he has those guys believing, as they should now, because they've proven it time and time again over in the playoffs here that they are not to be taken lightly. And right. more people look at the injured reserve list of rosters who's playing versus who's actually suiting up, yeah. giving them the respect they deserve. This is going to continue to happen. We're going to be looking at a Bulls team that moves on. Well, we're going to find out tonight. Game two of Heat Bulls. Live on TNT tonight, uh, and we will have plenty to talk about, I'm sure, on next week's edition of the Hangtime Podcast. Rick Fox may or may not be a baggage claim. Uh, Let's do next Wednesday. I will actually be stationary. <laughs> I say that. I say that now, but exactly as, as, as what I know. Where's I know Rick Fox? That's what we're gonna play next week on <laughs> the next edition of the Hangtime Podcast. But we appreciate you joining us. Appreciate Dominique Wilkins. Coming in and hanging out with us. Great discussion, guys, as always. And we will see you next time. Later. Thanks for listening to the Hangtime Podcast. To download more episodes of the show, visit the iTunes Music Store. And be sure to check out the Hangtime blog on NBA.com. And as always, say kuna matata.